This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and today we have an awesome guest on the show. Scott from Cannondale is the mountain bike director for all things mountain bike over at Cannondale Bikes. Super psyched to talk to him about e-bikes, what the future looks like for Cannondale, and the brand new Habit, along with a whole bunch of other stuff. Kind of talk about the state of where retail is for the bike business right now and local bike shops and all that good stuff. So, hope you guys enjoy the show. Uh, it was rad, and I really appreciate Scott for taking the time uh, and the whole Cannondale team for setting this up. This is uh, this is really cool. These are the kind of conversations that I really like to have. Um, if we're not going to have like a deep like philosophical type conversation. I'd really rather have one about gear and tech and, and have that conversation about what things look like for the industry and what things look like on the inside uh, for these brands. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we get into the show, we have a couple of partners for today that I would like to talk about real quick. One of which is Darn Tough Vermont. Darn Tough has done an excellent job of making the very best socks in the entire world. Uh, I I live in these things. If I'm going to wear socks, I'm actually a big barefoot guy, but like when, like, I don't know, especially in the summer, like, I don't know, my feet just, I don't know. They just like to be free, but when they're not free and bare and uh, I'm selling feet picks on OnlyFans, darn tough is what I have on a hundred percent of the time. Like, I don't, I don't even think I own or wear another pair of socks at this point. They're Merino wool made in Vermont. The company stands for a lot of great things that are actually really important to me. So this could not be a better brand partnership for us over here at The Collective. So if you would like a discount code for some darn tough socks, hit me up, slide into the DMs. There's a link as well that'll bring you to a discount code on darn tough site. Get yourself a brand new pair of socks that will literally last you a lifetime and you will not be happier and your feet will not be happier. Everyone will thank you. You're like your significant other will thank you because your feet don't smell like ass there's you're gonna thank yourself because they're just comfortable and you can have a pair of socks that you actually can rely on go to darntuff.com get yourself a brand new pair of socks and if you need a discount code i'll hook you up so go do that next we have our friends at rocky talkies rocky talkies makes the best backcountry radios if you're looking for a tool to connect with your friends in the backcountry in the trails deep in the woods where there's not a lot of cell phone service, this is an awesome way to do that. It's helped me a ton with my writing partners. It's helped me a ton on photo shoots and video bit. Like you, sometimes you just need to know when to go, what's good, and when people are ready. This is an awesome tool for that. I can't stress enough how much this is a necessity for skiing and backcountry skiing, but in the summer, there's a ton of great uses for it as well. So go to rockytalkies.com, use promo code OOC10, get 10% off on your purchase of a new set of Rocky Talkies, you will be happy that you did so. Okay, rockytalkies.com. And again, if you need a discount code, OOC10 is not working for you, whatever, slide into the DM, shoot me an email, adam at outofpodcast.com, and I'm happy to hook you up with something. So let's get everybody on some Rocky Talkies. Without further ado, here's my friend and yours, Scott from Canada. Scott, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll take it from there. All right, my name is Scott, and I am the global director of mountain bikes for Cannondale. And so that includes everything from uh, opening price point hardtails through wonder bikes that are ridden on the World Cup. And that also includes our EMTB division as well. Sick. 
how do you how do you get this job like how do you end up in this position <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if, I don't know how to answer that. Um, but I'll, I will tell you a little bit about my background. Um, I started out uh, just as a normal, just a kid who loves bikes. I was the bothersome kid at the local bike shop. And with that kind of got, I got really into, into the tech side of things. Um, during, during college, I tried to leave um, bikes. Uh, I was, did a bunch of racing and stuff and got deep in, I, took, I have a degree in mechanical engineering and I thought that wind power and all that was going to be in my future. And then uh, directly after college, I was working for a bike shop in Portsmouth, New Hampshire called Papa Wheelies oh, sick. and racing my bike. And uh, one thing led to another and the industry sucked me right back in. So I, I'm rolling up, <laughs> I'm rolling up on a decade here at, here at Cannondale and uh, it's been, it's been good. It's been real good. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, the industry has a certain way of just pulling you back in. Like I've told myself I was going to quit this industry 50 times probably in the last decade. And like I'm still here and I keep taking on more shit and it keeps happening over and over and over again. Yep. Yep. That's accurate. But I, but I think for people that want to get into the industry, I think you need a strong technical background. You need communication skills and you need a like a firm opinion of what you want to do. And how you think you can bring something special to it? Um, yeah. I think enthusiasm only goes so far, but you need like you need some sort of drive and be able to communicate um, communicate yeah. that drive. Yeah, I think the communication aspect of it, especially in bike, feels like it gets overlooked a lot. Like that actually ends up being like one of the more important things is like figuring out how to connect with people, figuring out how to like make your message heard, and like actually being able to like deliver what's in your head to somebody else and for some reason it seems like people in the bike industry tend to have difficulty with that until like you get those few people that really know what they're doing when it comes to talking to other people about the things that are in their head that it works out well yeah i i think that's fair and i think it's it's difficult for us on the product side of things of like articulating this is the thing that we want to make that's going to be relevant in four years right but then yeah. it's also difficult like in the now state like how do you explain how this suspension kinematic that we busted our ass on, like, how is it better than the competition? Like, that's not an easy thing to do, like, in, yeah. in simple terms. Yeah. In your mind, like, obviously, bike industry went through a big boom during COVID 2020, 2021, where, like, bikes weren't available. Like I told you at our shop, like, we were, like, literally... People were throwing their credit cards through the door without coming in and just like hoping any bike would come out like and that's like that was OK. And now bike shops across the country are starting to see something a little different happen where service seems to be up a lot mm -hmm. overall and bike sales seem to be down like you're seeing a lot of bike manufacturers with stuff on sale direct to direct to consumer bike shops having a bunch of inventory and even like you look at QBP, right? And there's tons of closeout product all the time when like there never used to be that kind of closeout. If there was stuff on closeout, it was dog shit, right? And now it's like you can get stuff people actually want at a at a cheap price point. Why why is that kind of thing happening? Do you have any insight onto uh, into where that stuff is going? Um, that's I know a lot about this. I've spent probably the last year uh, dealing with the fallout of all the rush work that we put in. Um, but just to keep it 
positive and, and copacetic. What I, think, <laughs> I think, you know, anytime you throw a rock into a pond, like there's a pretty big ripple effect, right? And COVID was a massive disruptor for, for everyone. And with the bike boom and the enthusiasm around bikes, like a lot of companies started going deep in buying. And so, yeah, it's, you, you explained it. There's a lot of extra inventory in the pipeline. There's a lot of extra inventory in warehouses. And I think the the good part of it is that if you're a mountain biker, it is an awesome time to get new <laughs> mountain bikes. Like everything is on sale, right? Um, for those of us that are trying to sell stuff to make money so we can finance the next project, um, pay our employees, yeah, we're gonna have some we're gonna have some tough days ahead of us um, because there is just simply too much inventory, and it's not a U.S. problem; it's a global problem. And so yeah. a lot of the bigger brands. And we're, we're among that. We're going to be shifting inventory around between markets to try to uh, try to you know right the ship, so to speak. And I think that the ch- the biggest challenge is that the company with this this the most amount of stuff that can hold on the longest, they're going to dictate what the recovery looks like. Because um, mm. like if we're if we're through and we got bikes on bikes, you know. We're, we're back in a healthy position and we have bikes on sale for full retail and we have some somebody else that's still in a terrible position uh, selling stuff for, you know, under cost potentially. Um, yeah. I, I, if I was a bike rider, I know where I'd spend my money. Yeah, for sure. Because like even bikes that you don't want to buy necessarily, like they wouldn't be your first choice. It'd be like your third or fourth choice. Right now you can get those bikes for like dirt cheap right so it actually i feel like sometimes it makes it harder for the bigger brands and obviously shops too but harder for the bigger brands because there are those options out there that maybe wouldn't be something that people were looking at initially that are just so cheap and so like the spec that you can get for the money is just so attainable for a lot of people right now that it's got to make it difficult especially for brands like cannondale and trek and specialized where you're holding a ton of inventory at all times to kind of make things work yeah well you you mentioned you know you mentioned the three of us and I, we'll be we'll be okay uh, yeah. we have enough investors we have enough financing on the back end it's not going to be fun we're going to have to make some really difficult decisions but we'll be okay the one the brands that i worry about are the small to medium-sized brands who don't yeah. have that um that that financial backing and we've already seen a couple of brands file for a chapter 11 bankruptcy protection yeah. i hope there's not more because the little brands in a lot of ways, um, they keep us on our toes, right? Like they're fast, sure. agile, they're nimble, and they, they surprise us sometimes. And we need yeah. that healthy competition so everybody has better bikes. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's a I think it's a good thing. Do you how do you foresee and this is the last question I'll probably ask on like <laughs> the current bike market shit? Because like it's it's interesting, it is a thing that people worry about, but it's a little inside baseball for a lot of people, I think. But where do you see the industry going in the next two to three years like because i imagine when you're doing forecasting and you're trying to launch new bikes and you're you're thinking about all that stuff it's like what is going to come down the pipeline that's going to affect this because there was a lot of people when COVID hit and like bikes were booming and everything was selling that were aware that there was probably going to be a drop off and we're still kind of in that position so like do you have a do you have thoughts on like what it's going to look like in the next couple years um the everything being on sale that won't stop this year i think that will continue through part of next year 
before inventory levels start balancing out. And I think that's really like the major driving factor. Um, I think bike brands will potentially push introductions out uh, if they have too much in a particular category. Um, I, I could see that happening. Um, but really, I think we're just going to enjoy these, these bumpy waters for probably another 12 to hopefully not more than 18 months um, yeah. to, okay. to get through this. Yeah. So tough for us. Great time for, for our customers. Like everything's on sale. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a good time for it. Um, let me talk to you a little bit about the release of Habit, Habit LT. Like what, why this bike? What changed? Who is this bike for? And I guess one of my questions too that kind of goes into this is why two of the same name bike with two different travels, two different build kits, and, and obviously the regular habit caps out at like five or six grand, the LT caps out at like 10 or 11 or something like that. So like why why are they the same, but what? Are, why are they different? And, and talk to me a little bit about the launch of that bike. Sure. Um, I think I'd probably start with the 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 most difficult to, difficult question to answer first and that who's it's for and i think it it's a mountain bike right it's a it's a trail bike and if we take that rider and try to distill down like who that rider is it's pretty difficult right because you have age you have geographic location you have rider ability you have the style you have preferences and there's so much uh so much preference in in that segment and whether you want a 130 millimeter bike or 160 millimeter bike like it is it is crazy um in terms of like how broad the the use case of these bikes are um we uh what we wanted to do was have a smart no frills bike that was just utterly badass and I think one of the things that surprised a lot of Cannondale enthusiasts with this bike is that there's no Cannondale weirdness on it. And uh, <laughs> you know, I think we kind of have to, we kind of occupy this this interesting space of like everyone wants to see us do this weird stuff, but uh, then it comes down to like selling stuff, and not everybody wants to buy the weird things. And so it, we're definitely going through a transition phase. Don't worry, we'll we will still continue to do. <laughs> things like lefty and, and the weird stuff but in some in, in some segments like the trail bikes it just doesn't matter right and so yeah. like for for us it, you know i some of the internal com conversations we had it's like it's not a cannondale there's nothing like unique about it and it's like hold on hold on hold on like what does cannondale stand for well that stands for performance it's like okay yeah yeah so why would we do this weird stuff because it works better it's like, yeah Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense in some spaces, but then in the trail bike category, like, does the weird stuff actually work better? It's like, no. So it was like, so we prioritized like geo and kinematics and like standard fitment. Uh, yeah, like, so is that still a Cannondale? It's like, yeah, yeah, it is, it is a Cannondale. So kind of an interesting journey for us as a, as a company. But with that in mind, um, we wanted to just be straightforward and be very approachable um, in the segment. And so that's where we got to Habit and Habit LT. The cool thing about metric suspension uh, is that if you plan ahead, there's a lot of options inside metric suspension. And so you can play with stroke length. And as long as you 
plan ahead that you're going to do those things, then you can um, have essentially two different configurations, like a 140, 150, and a 130, 140 bike, and have cool geo on both of those. And so that was that was our approach um, on that bike. And yeah, alloy, carbon, uh, no frills on it. Yeah. In your mind, what is what is the selling point? Obvi- trail bikes are what everybody is buying mm-hmm. right now. Like that is the that's the category that people are constantly shopping, and it's very flooded with really really good bikes. So, what in your mind is the selling point for a habit over something else? Um. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit at the beginning, like this communication stuff, like it's, it's tricky, right? And so if we boil it down to one thing, um, it's pretty difficult to say one thing. But if I look at the combination of value, so what you get for your money, uh, the kinematic performance, so how well the suspension works, geo, and then approachability, I think if we look at the, the sum of all those things, it's an absolutely wicked bike. But one thing, nah, it's pretty hard to point to the one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine there's like, there's a bit of difficulty sometimes with a lot of these bikes that come out, especially if a bike is just a, a really solid bike. It's like, then you're leaning on obviously shops, but you're also leaning on those like Cannondale loyalists because mm-hmm. like they're coming to the brand for whatever's new and hot. And I, I wonder how those people kind of look at the new habit and go like, okay, like you said, there's nothing weird about it. It's just a really good bike. Does that still attract those people who buy the weird bike to a habit? Uh, yes and no. I think yes, if we can c- clearly articulate like how well the suspension works and how that is kind of the heart of this this platform. Yeah, I, I think we can appeal to that. If we're looking for oh some of the... <laughs> The weirdness, uh, like, you know, a fully intend equipped bike where you have uh, that it's not a dual crown fork, but it's a a crown and a half fork. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's this may not be the the bike for them, but I think for a lot of a lot of riders, this is one hell of a one hell of a trail bike. What? As far as Canada goes and then personally, what is the most important category of mountain bike for you guys? Like what? Obviously, like that's a Cannondale overall question, and then a you personally question, like what you like working on the best, what you like putting out the best, or are those one and the same? <laughs> um, I would say no, they are not one and the same. Um, my my personal passion would probably be either trail bikes or cross country race bikes, and that's that's me um, as a as a rider. Uh, I'm over 40 now, so (laughs) everything is getting a little bit more difficult year by year. Um, And I actually have, I spend a lot of time on e-bikes as well. Um, And so I think if I, I I have actually a pretty awesome first world problem in that I have to like segregate the, my riding. And so whether I'm riding for Scott or whether I'm riding for Cannondale, um, and that's been something that's super, been super healthy for me, like trying to separate like my passion versus my job, which kind of overlap an awful lot. But in my, uh, in my personal riding, I'm probably 70% uh, analog bikes and 30% e-bikes. Um, in my professional career, it's probably 65 to 70% e-bikes and 30% oh, shit. analog bikes. Yeah. And that, um, that does represent our sales as well. So e-bikes yeah. is, are the most important um, 
segment right now. And I think that, you know, being on the front end of what's coming in the e-bike space, like, man, the next couple of years are going to be rad. Yeah. That's one of the things I think people are worried about when buying an e-bike right now, though, is that the technology is getting so good so fast and stuff has changed like in the last five years, right? Like e-bikes have changed a lot in terms of like maybe not the actual battery system itself, but like the way they look, how clean they are, the simplicity of them and the user experience have all changed significantly. So like that, it's a good thing, but it's also like a worrisome thing that I've seen from a lot of consumers that are unsure about like whether the right time to buy one is now but then obviously there's that huge subset of people that are just like i want an e-bike e-bikes are fucking cool and i just need to have one now <laughs> e-bikes are fucking cool yeah like, uh, dude i'm i was such a hater in the beginning i was like dude i was like everybody on the internet in an instagram comments like dude just pedal earn your shit whatever whatever and then like you get on one and you're like oh i kind of like this and then you get on like like an e-mountain bike or like an e-gravel bike and you're just like what is happening right now yeah well in, at least in the mountain bike space um like if anyone says oh it's cheating like you're not getting a workout in like you have not ridden an e-bike like yeah. i come home and like there's like things in my neck that hurt like because i've been yanking <laughs> on the handlebars so hard like feels like i've been to the gym like they are awesome yeah like, you gotta pull hard and pull fast because things are coming at you differently and uh, the bike's a little bit heavier like yeah yeah they're 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 rad um yeah it's it's really cool to see what's happening in that space right now what what is cannondale doing differently like what do you guys have planned as far as the e-mountain bike category goes well yeah i'll answer that but i did want to touch on like you know i think there, a lot of riders are holding off but i don't think the reasons to hold off um, not buying an e-bike now versus an analog bike. I don't mm -hmm. think they're any different. I think the difference is just sticker price, right? Like, yeah. And so I think that's, that's something I like try to reinforce through all the conversations that I have with dealers and stuff is like, you know, like it's coming. We either, like, we have to, you know, we have to make sure that we're presenting ourselves as a, as a e-bike company. Uh, yeah. as, as well. and, you know, don't wait, like they're super fun. Yeah, they hold their resale value too. Um, I think, like, looking forward, um, I don't, I don't know how to answer this question without giving away too much. <laughs> Dude, you can give away whatever you want right now. Like, yeah. you're just gonna get in trouble afterwards. Uh, no, I think, I think the most recent development, which I think has properly brought up. Um, you know, like it's, start, it's starting to look at the next phase of development would be, you know, the lightweight bikes. Mm -hmm. So TQ is a fantastic um, option. There's a, a bunch of cool bikes that have come out with the TQ drive unit. There's a bunch of cool bikes that have come out with um, like the Fazua Ride 60, where these, you know, they're, they're lightweight, but they still have a lot of power and a lot of range. And so the other cool thing about those systems is they're quite a bit smaller. And so it allows like the design team and the engineering team to make things that look a lot more like bikes, like what we're familiar with. And I think that's a little bit of a peek under the hood of what the, what the future can bring. Yeah. What are there any hurdles when it comes to like producing an e-bike as far as bringing it to the public and then dealing with like, I don't know, for me locally, like there's a lot of trails that are specifically labeled that you can't ride e-bikes on, right? So is that, 
is that a thing that Cannondale has any involvement in? Is that a hurdle that you guys see in the mountain bike division? Um, yes, there, there are a lot of hurdles, uh, and like, it's not just a North America problem. It's a, it's a global problem, right? So we actually in one e-bike model, there's multiple configurations for, because the U S has different standards than Europe, which has different standards for some of the, uh, like countries like Australia, New Zealand. And so like, yeah, just on the, just making sure that we're delivering bikes that meet the, you know, all the global standards, like that's not a small task. Like that's a major hurdle. Um, on the more like tactical on the ground side of things, like it's, I, th I think the biggest hurdle, and if we can, if we can change this, all the land access issues and stuff will start to drop away. But like, there's this perception that it's cheating. There's this perception that oh, they have so much power, like you're going to throw a rooster tail and like things. And it's like those voices, like I kind of actively like try to contact those those loud voices um, in the industry and be like, hey, let's go for a ride. I'll show up with some bikes. Let's go for a ride. Because I think you need to understand like how e-bikes can break down barriers to fitness, terrain. Like New, like New England's rocky, man. Like an e-bike yeah. is way better ride than... <laughs> <laughs> a trail bike right like and so like having like people feel that but then also understand that no this thing's not going to throw a big rooster tail like a moto it you actually have to put a lot of effort in to get that power that's on tap like it's not a throttle twisting thing i think it and no you're not you're you know you're not being a sissy by riding an e-bike like i think if we can cross that and like get the north american customer like the north american rider like being like no e-bikes are super fun i'm not cheating if we can get that done, the rest of it will start falling. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who's like a, an excellent bike rider. And like he he was telling me like he bought an e-bike and I was like, this doesn't make sense. This was a year or two ago. And he's like one of the fitter people that I know. And he's always paying attention to his fitness. He's always like worrying about the climb. And like when he got an e-bike, I was like, why? Like it doesn't seem on brand. And he was like, dude, my 15 mile ride is now a 40 mile ride. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I do the same thing in a similar time frame, and I just ride more. I get to ride more trails and they're nimble enough and they're agile enough that there's, there's nothing really that's preventing me from doing whatever I want. He's like, I ride that thing more than I ride my analog bike now. Yeah. Yeah. And like for like people that are training, like pro professional athletes, like that's your, that's your rest day bike, right? Like, yeah. Go do some laps on a on a sick descent or something like that. That's that. Yeah, not that I'm a professional athlete, but I'm <laughs> headed to go do Breck Epic here in two weeks, and that's uh, sick. That's been e-bike has been a massive training tool for me. Like, yeah, it's really day, gotta go get some miles in. Let's go. Let's go lap some some of the sick descents. Yeah, and for me, it's like I. I end up just riding like my commuter e-bike all the time just to like do simple tasks. And like that for me was what opened a lot of doors because like I knew the mountain bike was going to be cool. Like from the second that I rode it and I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like I can access everything, but when you can just go around town and do your menial tasks, not be in your car, still get some exercise. It's, it's a really cool thing that I think a lot of people will start and other countries have taken advantage of this, but I think the U S is slowly starting to figure this out a little more. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll I don't there. think it's. Yeah, I think I think the same. It's uh, in your mind, the biggest way to change people's perception of e-bikes is actually going to ride them, right? 
I, I think that's, I think that's one of the best. And I think, you know, like e-bikes are a big ticket, big ticket item and the, the good bike shops have e-bikes on demo and people should just go ride them, uh, go yeah. to, uh, go to a mountain bike festival where brands are set up demoing bikes, go ride them. They're super fun. So yeah. you can't not have a good time. Yeah. As you look at what Cannondale's doing in the mountain bike division for the next few years, where where does the focus seem to be beyond e-bikes? Like as far as analog analog bikes go, where do you see the brand going? What's going to be the priority? Are people still going to be... I have lefty questions too, and I'll ask that afterwards. But like, is, is that stuff still going to exist going forward? Uh, yes, lefty will exist going forward. We're not going to become an e-bike company anytime soon. We're going to keep habit around. We're going to keep scalpel around. Like, there's a bunch of rad bikes coming. I think really where we are um, as a as a brand, you know, I think uh, I guess if if you look at kind of like these like different brand pillars that you know hold you up in the mountain bike space, we're super strong in cross country, and that's cool and all but there's a lot more mountain bikers out there that we want to reach. And so bikes like Habit, Habit LT, um, Jekyll, some of the, you know, the rest of the, the mountain bike space, we're putting a lot of effort into bikes there uh, and also trying to reach those riders um, as well, because if we're going to be a long-term mountain bike brand, we need to be yeah. more than just a, just a cross country brand. Are people still buying cross country full suspensions the same way that, they used to because like you're seeing a lot of bikes now that are like down country cross country bikes um whether it's like blur tr or i don't know transition spark like you're seeing these bikes pop up more and more and more where like they're 115 120 mil travel bikes but they ride more aggressively than that and it seems like it's starting to pick up some steam again in that category yeah, you're uh, you're pushing my buttons and it's working. <laughs> I, uh, I have an active campaign to remove like down country from any and all kind of like, communication and like anything. And the reason is is that nobody really knows what it is, and it's like just this thing that's confusing. And uh, I that's just a modern cross country bike, and I think that's kind of the sh- one of the shifts that's happening right now is that. A modern cross country bike like is super rad. Like it's got the the right geo where you can go super fast down chunky stuff and not get scared. It's got 120 millimeters of suspension, like the right brakes, the right tires, you know, for for your area. And so like the next round of cross country bikes, I think, is going to be quite a bit more rowdy. And I think that you know, like you know, we're guilty of this too, where we have scalpel and scalpel SE, where yeah. we saw the full potential of this 120 millimeter bike. But then we're like, ah, oh, if we just go 120, we're gonna alienate <laughs> all of our core customers, and yeah, yeah. So like, I guess we have to make the 100 millimeter version as well. And like, so what we're seeing is like all brands are doing that, and that's kind of like creating this this down country thing that's like, you know, occupying some weird thought space. But as we get into the next round of cross country bikes, I think it's just gonna be like. These are modern cross-country bikes. They're super fun. Like ride it how you will. Like put a DHF on it or put an Aspen on it. Like you choose. Like they're yeah. Yeah, yeah they're a lot more versatile. And it's funny you mentioned like downcountry being a hot button word for you. Like it's like 
we just had one of the other hosts on this network go on and just do like a half an hour bit on an episode about like how he fucking hates that word. And he's like, it doesn't mean anything. It's like slack country skiing. It's like, if you're out of bounds, it's back country. If you're not out of bounds, it's in bounds. Like it's as simple as that. He's like, stop making up words that, that don't mean anything so that you can just put a new category out there. I'm not alone. That's refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely not. It's a, it's a really weird really weird thing um can i last thing i want to ask you i think is as far as suspension design goes how much thought goes into the overall suspension platform when you're changing it bike to bike in terms of how long the travel is and i guess maybe this needs a little more clarification like if you look at bikes like santa cruz and vpp um or like an avp system or fsr like they somehow apply to the entire category and aren't really any different right so for you guys when i look at the bikes it feels like they are a little more specific to who the bike is geared for even if the overall platform platform stays pretty similar so like how much thought process i guess goes into segmenting the way the suspension platform works in each category so i think a ton is the short answer and i think that having like developing our opinion of how the suspension needs to work for each platform is probably the most, if not the yeah, the second most or most time-consuming part of a of a frame development. Um, because like there, there's two things that once you kind of lock those in, you can't really change them, and that's like the kinematic and all the attributes of the way that suspension works, and then the geo. So it's like we—that's where a ton of time goes in. Because like, if we're partway through the development and we decide, "Ooh, I don't, not quite sure, I want like the way that looks," like we need to move some lines around, we can do that, and the time impacts are not success—they're not significant. Um, but if you look at like moving kinematic points or geo points, like that's pretty massive. And so, yeah, we, we put a lot of effort into it. Um, and then just making sure like we're delivering the right, not only the right sensation, but also the right performance. And I think there's definitely some areas in the bike space where sensation and then the best application of the performance for that technology are a little bit opposed and cross country is definitely one where riders want this like rock solid feel they just want like stuff to ping off of everything and that is not the fastest it would be fastest on a uh, on a pavement on a section of pavement but that's not where we ride right and so like trying to balance these these expectations versus what the what the rider gets um, uh, that's, I think that's probably the easiest way to explain it. But we we work out with a, a horse system, so a four bar. Um, awesome. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, FSR. Yeah. Um, but the but the cool thing about that is we can independently tailor like anti squat, anti rise, leverage ratio, and not have it affect the other. You know, the other, the, the, all three of those elements are independent, which is which is super important. Yeah, I love that. Um, awesome. This has been great, dude. I really appreciate the time. Um, if people are looking for more info on the new habit on e-bikes coming up soon, like best resources for them, best best access points, I guess, if people have questions on on what's coming out. I think the I would I would 
say a couple of things. I would say website, Cannondale.com. And then I would point um, point riders to their local Cannondale dealer. Like the, the local Cannondale dealer is pretty well equipped to answer a lot of, a lot of questions. And we're a fan of the IBD as well. So we want to yeah. support them as much as possible. Awesome. Thanks again, dude. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, this was fun.